You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What's going to happen tonight? What's going to happen? We're going to whoop their You got Ronald yet? Good morning, afternoon, evening, brunch time, lunch time, no postseason ban time, no self-imposed postseason ban time. I wonder if you maybe should have waited to see if you were postseason eligible before you made that decision time. That's okay. Because uh, laughing at the NCAA is fun while you can time. We'll see who laughs last time. Beer barrel time. Whatever time of day it is, boys and girls. It's the right time for the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio here on a, a chilly but not totally unpleasant Thursday evening here in God's own Knoxville, Tennessee. Coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio just about two miles or so away from Neyland Stadium where, of course, the Tennessee football team will not be this weekend. The Vols will be up on the frozen blue tundra of Kroger Field in Lexington, Kentucky. It's still Commonwealth Stadium to me, but it's 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 technically technically Kroger Field now where the Vols will play the 18th-ranked Kentucky Wildcats, 7 p.m. Eastern. we got plenty to discuss about that game. Uh, also going to discuss a little bit of Tennessee hoops uh, because of the co-host we have available to us in this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. But before that, we got to talk about some NCAA stuff because so some new things came out about that uh, just about an hour, hour and a half, two hours ago, and just got back home from basketball practice so we can talk about that. And to talk about all that, we're going to go down to the Blount County Satellite Office of Go Vols 24-7 down there in Merville, Tennessee, and talk to the one and the only Grant Ramey. Grant, what's up, my man? How you feeling? Uh, I've completed my own internal investigation into major league baseball and determined that the Atlanta Braves indeed won the world series and it's time for you to bend the knee. That's true. I, uh, for those who don't know, I don't think I've mentioned this publicly, but Grant, you know how in your phone, when you call people or people call you, there's like a little, like their own little, you can have their own little avatar or whatever. Grant's for a while has said 1995 because it was the last time the Braves won the world series. And, uh, Thought that was going to be extended by at least one more year uh, after, you know, no, no Acuna, no, no Ozuna, um, then Morton breaks his leg. But the Atlanta Braves just kept winning. So congratulations to you Braves fans out there. I know uh, it. I imagine that Grant smiled the other night. And for people who don't know, I, maybe that happens on what, like the, the birth of your children? The day you get married. Is that another frown? A big, uh, an even bigger frown. <laughs> so maybe the first time in his life, uh, or since 1995, that he actually smiled. So up next, just a Bears World Series, right? Or a Bears, a Bears uh, Super, Bears, Bowl? Bears Super no. Bowl? No. Well, the Bears will be in What's the World Series. The Bears probably will win the World Series before they win the Super Bowl. But. That, that is correct. I will go with that. But a lot going on, obviously. Just got back from uh, from Tennessee basketball practice. So the Vols opening their season on Thursday, or next, this, today is Thursday. They're opening their season on Tuesday against UT Martin. 
the news there is that John Fulkerson is is not uh, not been cleared yet to play. He is questionable. He was on the side today. I uh, saw him putting up a couple shots there with that with that uh, that little brace on his left hand. For most of practice, he was off to the side by himself, uh, but he was in there with guys on some drills, and he was on the uh, on the treadmill after the game on the Versa climber. Which you know, if you know anything about Tennessee basketball, you know how often Rick Barnes makes them use that Versa climber. They wear those things out. Uh, so he was on those things, and then they think he's feeling all right. So, you know, we'll we'll see. I don't know if they need him next Tuesday, but it's always nice to get minutes for guys when you when you can get them back, get them some minutes, get some, you know, get some get get the legs legs going a little bit, the the legs, the lungs, all that stuff. So so we'll see. There's plenty to discuss. There's also plenty to discuss about Tennessee's beer barrel game against Kentucky on Saturday. Um, but that is surprisingly not the not the lead subject today because the lead subject today is what just came out, which is that Tennessee has concluded its end of the investigation into uh, alleged improprieties. I guess I suppose we can now call them improprieties instead of uh, alleged improprieties. Improprieties during the Jeremy Pruitt era. And Tennessee has said that uh, it will do some things to itself, but it will not punish itself with a bowl ban. And that um, it's not it's not didn't shock me, but and, and the logic on Tennessee's end of this is something that I can wrap my head around. It makes some sense to me if you can make a couple of other determinations. But but, but before that, the news here's Tennessee's statement that it released this afternoon. The the full statement: the university has completed its investigations of rules violations within the football program. We are moving forward with our focus on rebuilding our football program and supporting student athletes. We will now work to finalize a fair and efficient resolution through the applicable process while navigating a rapidly changing landscape in intercollegiate athletics. That includes transformative change for the NCAA, the Austin decision, and significant new name, image, and likeness rights for our student athletes. We will hold ourselves accountable Uh, Considering the nature of the violations, our prompt investigation and corrective personnel actions, the new recruiting environment, and other factors. In the interest of protecting the rights of innocent student-athletes, the university will not impose a postseason bowl ban. NCAA bylaws prevent us from sharing details of the investigation at this time, but we do commit to providing that information when we are able. We appreciate the patience and support of our fans during this process. End quote. So basically... You kind of have to put two and two together on this, um, but for the people out there who have been speculating that some of the Tennessee players who left via the transfer portal might not have had an option but to leave, this is strong. This is a strong statement that doesn't necessarily confirm that, but it's going to lead to more speculation on that front because Tennessee is basically, and I talked to a couple people, you know, kind of on the drive home and and earlier today, and and. What I the sense that I get, and, and Grant, feel free to chime in if you've heard differently, is this is almost Tennessee saying, listen, the players and coaches who committed these violations, they were quickly found out, they were quickly punished, and they were all they are all now gone from the University of Tennessee. Some of those players who committed violations here are going to be at schools this season where they will be playing in bowl games. So why would those kids not be punished whereas the kids who, you know, have never been convicted of anything like that, why would they be punished and those other guys weren't? That is the the gist sort of of what I've gathered from that. Now, the NCAA has not finished its investigation. Uh, just because Tennessee's finished, that doesn't mean the NCAA's finished. It, it moves exactly as quickly as it wants to, no more, no less. Tennessee's going to try to assist in speeding up that process now. 
but Tennessee has been cooperative, but Tennessee's not totally bending the knee, Grant. It's basically saying, listen, we've punished guys um, already because some guys were not allowed to come or basically were not coming back on this team. And some guys that are back, um, they, they had to deal with a, a, a much lighter roster this season. Some of the coaches, I believe, have already had some quietly self-imposed recruiting penalties that they've gone through. So, I, But it's interesting. I mean, they're definitely going to put this in the NCAA's court now. Yeah, I mean, of all that uh, statement, that big, long statement they, they put out Thursday uh, afternoon, evening, whatever it was, the, the one sentence that obviously jumps off the page, we hold ourselves accountable. This thing started surfacing in December, and they had cleaned house by mid-January. They had started basically rebuilding by mid-January. Uh, the nature of the violations, all that stuff, prompt investigation, corrective personnel actions, I mean, this is wiping away as many fingerprints as you can from a crime scene because you don't have your head coach anymore. You don't have his staff anymore. Uh, How many people in the football recruiting department uh, got fired at the same time as Jeremy Pruitt did? Uh, Multiple. I can't remember the exact number. There were like six or seven of of several. Right. Basically cleaning out as much as you can of that house and starting over there as well. And also the athletic director, the guy that hired Jeremy Pruitt and and Philip Fulmer stepping down the same day that they announced um, that, that Jeremy Pruitt and his staff was, was being let go or multiple members of his staff was being let go or whatever it was at the time. Um, so it feels like they did as much as they could do as quickly as they could do it. Donna Plowman, if you go back to that January press conference and listen to the number of times she said multiple, you know, possible level one infractions involved here, that's why they moved as quickly as they did to take corrective matters. And with the NCAA, honestly, who knows what you're going to get? I mean, you yep. don't have Will Wade on your sideline. Um, being recorded on an FBI wiretap saying they made an offer to a player. You have fired that staff. You have fired, you've got rid of that AD or retire, let him retire, whatever you want to phrase it. Uh, You have started over as much as you can possibly start over, not to mention what you talked about, the players that left the program in January. I mean, this is a, as much of a new look football program as you can have from one year to the next. And I think that's because of the severity uh, of what happened under the last staff the way Tennessee wanted to clean house as much as it could, um, all that kind of stuff going in together. And I think you do your own investigation. And if you don't think you need a bull bid, you impose a bull ban, you don't do it. And you put it in the NCAA's hands because you never know what you're going to get. I mean, you can just look back through Tennessee history with Bruce Pearl and Donnie Tindall compared to what other people got in the NCAA in terms of violations and what was found. You just never know what you're going to get from the from one NCAA investigation to the next. So I think if Tennessee has, has covered its tracks here and felt like it took them as much corrective measures as it could and didn't figure it, it would need to self-impose a bowl ban for whatever reason, um, then I think it's a good move to, to do your own thing, close your investigation, put it in their hands and see what happens. Yeah. You know, what's interesting to me is, and I'll preface this, I'm sure many of y'all who are, who are listening to this podcast are, are lawyers or work in the legal business in, in some way. And so you, you probably, not probably, you definitely know more about uh, legal matters than, than I do, certainly. I, I don't pretend to know. I've covered enough of these things where I have a general idea in some ways, but I, I, this is not like a deal where it's on the court and we're telling you, hey, we're sort of people who know what's going on. We're, we're not lawyers, and we don't pretend to be. But what's interesting to me is it used to be sort of generally understood. It wasn't always this way, but it mostly was this way. The NCAA's punishment for you was directly proportionate in some ways to how much you bended the knee from the beginning. If you fired coaches, if you penalized yourself, if you you know self-imported, self-reported things, 
you 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 typically got the better end of the deal, and if you didn't do those things, that's when you would get hit hardest. That's not been the case lately. I mean, we will see what happens with LSU, but what I know is that this week, and I'm sure it's a little more complicated than this, but the Oklahoma State situation, you know, getting a, a year with that postseason for $300 five years ago, um, you know, that I don't know how you can – there's that, and then there's basically LSU – flipping double birds to the NCAA throughout the process, and so far nothing has happened. North Carolina, let's not forget how nasty that situation was. Flip double birds to the NCAA throughout the process, nothing came of it. So in Oklahoma State, tries to fall on the sword, and it gets thrown in front of a bus. I'm not a legal expert. I don't know exactly, and someone who is a legal expert could probably write in a million reasons why some of these things happened. I can say from the outside looking in, that does not add up to me. So I, I don't know how much. I mean, people talked about, you know, did they have to fire everybody quickly? Did they have to, you know, report all these things? Did they have to go so deep on the internal investigation and all these other – did they have to cooperate so willingly throughout the process? I don't know because if Tennessee does all this on the front end and then still gets hammered, in my opinion, I would just never tell the NCAA anything ever again <laughs> because there would be no reason to do that. I don't want to sound that extreme, but the NCAA used to have a standard where if you cooperated with them and apologized and were public about things, it helped you. Now, does it matter? And now with the NIL stuff, this stuff just coming out now, does that change things? Maybe it will, maybe it won't, maybe it should, maybe it shouldn't. I don't know. It's kind of a gray area there. But the whole thing's fascinating. And let's not forget that Jeremy Pruitt, you know, how long ago was this? Two weeks ago, basically came out and said, I want y'all to keep the records for for Fulmer, for Rick Barnes, for, for whatever interactions you have with Bobby Mays, with, with Carmen Tagano, with uh, Butch Jones. I mean, he named all these people and basically threatened to start slinging mud publicly. And Tennessee responded by basically saying, okay, go ahead. Start, if you want to sling mud, start slinging mud and we'll see what happens. Like, they, I think that that tells you what, uh, how Tennessee views their side of things, how they feel like they've covered their tracks and how they've documented what went wrong and the corrective actions that they took um, to, to fix all that. And you're hundred percent right. If, if, if you go through this and if you're as open and transparent as Tennessee has attempted to be since January, um, I believe moving forward. Yeah, you're right. You never say, I mean, there's no reason to cooperate if it's not going to take anything off of your prison sentence. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the reason so you are cooperating. You yeah to lighten your load. So if, I mean, if that doesn't happen, but again, it, it's who knows what's going to happen. It's a complete crapshoot with the NCAA because nothing ever happens with rhyme or reason. The, the example you gave is a perfect one, Oklahoma state and what they're getting hit with and why they're getting hit with it uh, at this point in time and, and what's happening at LSU and what's happening, you know, anywhere else where it's almost like they've dared the NCAA to do something and nothing has been done. So um, you close the book on your end of it and you just wait to see what happens with the NCAA and you can only tell them what you know, which is it sounds like they've been transparent from the jump and they've tried to take as many corrective measures as they can and hopefully it benefits them in the end. To me, one of the biggest deals here, and, and this is something that, that I think you kind of have to read between the lines here. It's like, you know, I'm already seeing some, some sort of impressively coded language from Danny White. Like, if you go back and look at the statement Tennessee issued the night of the Ole Miss football game, go back and read the first sentence of that and tell me that he wasn't also complaining about SEC officiating. He just did it in a very, very clever way that you have to sort of read between the lines to see it. 
And I think you see a similar thing in this statement that Tennessee is saying, listen, we would love to tell you all the things that we've done, but right now we are not allowed to do that. We will do that when we are able to, but we have punished ourselves. What does that mean? To me, that means most likely that Tennessee has already given itself some recruiting punishments of some kind in terms of visits or visit weekends or whatever you want to call it, and they've already started docking themselves stuff there. That's what that, that that's I'm not going to guarantee that, but but that's likely to me right now. And, and what I don't want to call it likely, but certainly very possible is that Tennessee told some of those players in the portal that they had to go into the portal, that they could not come back to Tennessee. If, and this is a big if, if Tennessee can prove that to the NCAA, then that would be something that I don't think a lot of programs have done before. They're basically saying, listen, we did punish our team. We took X amount of scholarship players, by the way, some of the best players on this entire roster, and we told them, your services are no longer welcome here. And that is a punishment. That's a very hard punishment to the team you have now. Now, of course, some of those players might have just left because they loved the coaching staff and they, they wanted to go elsewhere. They wanted a, a better fit somewhere else. They wanted somewhere where they felt like they could win championships easier. Wh- whatever the case, go closer to home. There could be a million reasons, and I'm sure there are. But some of them were guys that it just it didn't make a lot of sense because – even with the new coaching staff, they would have had a lot of reps at Tennessee against a lot of other future NFL players on film by playing at Tennessee. And it's not like it was Vanderbilt. It's not like it was you know South Carolina right now. It's not like it was anything like that. So it didn't really add up. They weren't going closer to home in some cases. They were going farther away from home. It, it's not... What I'm saying is I don't think Tennessee is going to publicly throw players under the bus for this or mention names, and I don't think it should, frankly. But if it can prove to the NCAA that it did that, I'm not aware of many circumstances where that's happened, but that would be a really clever way of trying to get ahead of the curve, perhaps. I mean, you could certainly make the argument that you're living out your punishment right now because you've started over completely uh, with a new coaching staff. You didn't have a defensive coordinator or offensive coordinator until whatever date it was. And you only have X number of scholarships on this current roster compared to whatever number you can have, the 85. I don't know what the exact number is that Tennessee has right now, but it's obviously much lower. They don't have a full scholarship. Like yeah, you're, like you're pointing close. out, the, a lot of the, the biggest name talent is playing elsewhere, Michigan State, Alabama. Uh, you can go down the list, North Carolina. Oklahoma. With the number of guys that left, Oklahoma, the, the most frequent flyers <laughs> between yeah. Tennessee and Oklahoma. So, I mean, you can point out, it, it doesn't maybe it doesn't seem like that from the outside looking in, but Tennessee's having a pretty decent season. They've put a lot of points on the board. There's a lot of, you know, positive spin out of this season and what they've done so far and the progress they've made in the short amount of time they've made it but you punished yourself by firing your coach in January and putting yourself so far behind the eight ball in making a hire. A, I mean, A, you didn't even have, have athletic director for a minute. And then he had to do his own coaching search as soon as he got to town, a new staff, uh, only a couple weeks before national signing day, you have a roster that's completely depleted of depth. Uh, there's talent there, but it's really, really thin, probably the thinnest roster since he's had in so long. Um, who knows how long. But if they were having a Vanderbilt year or if they were having a Missouri-like year right now, it'd be a little bit more obvious from the outside looking in that you're probably kind of living that punishment right now. Um, but that is a very credible fact that they, they're very short on scholarships. They're very short on depth and talent. 
and they started over with a new coaching staff at a really, really bad time in the calendar. The fact is, though, that it seems like they've made good hires and they've made progress and they're getting every square inch out of this roster they can. So with that going on, I would close my investigation and hand it to them and, and just kind of see what happens. I don't know. I also think it was a very big priority for Tennessee to get this announcement, at least on Tennessee's end, out there ahead of the early signing period opening up. I think that is uh, – that's not something Tennessee will ever say publicly, but I think that's pretty – that's another pretty easy to put two and two together situation. I think that they they wanted this out there because there are some guys – that it's really easy to recruit against Tennessee right now, and maybe this makes right. it a little bit less easy to do that right now. So, you know, maybe they got some of their their guys they want the most, who other schools are threatening with stuff like this, or, or not threatening, but they're 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 making them aware of this. You know that hey, there might be on multiple year bowl bands and yada yada, and you know, so people say crazy things to get players. We all know this, but. It's interesting because I don't I don't know if there's another case quite exactly like this one because there's still a lot of like in terms of the report we don't know what's going to come out. I mean we you can vaguely imagine that you're going to have your typical you know cash handed to this player this player's family was taken care of on an official visit that really wasn't an official visit but it was because they paid him for it and they but they called it unofficial here's lodging for for players families on unofficial trips you know extra recruiting things on the side phone calls wh- whatever it is like practicing when they shouldn't during quarantine wh- whatever is going to come out we, we know the basics of what's going to come out it's just we don't know maybe quite how bad it is but it's interesting because this is to me Tennessee saying, "Listen, we've done our part, so we we shall see." It's interesting. I wish I had more for you on this, but I can tell you right now that it's not surprising me that Tennessee is doing this. But it's it's still bold, you know. Tennessee's got lawyers, and Tennessee's paid a lot of money for these lawyers, and this is what they think is okay to do. So, I mean, they just don't just just don't lie to the NCAA about barbecues. You'll be fine. We know that one, yeah. That's like a mega death penalty. That or don't one. be the worst worst possible cheater in the world at, at Southern Miss. That, that that's not ideal either. Yeah, poor poor DT, poor DT. Just didn't, never had a chance, man. Never had a chance. Uh, we did talk a little basketball at the front end, so we don't have to do much on that before we go to break. But I did want to clear the deck for football. Uh, so I did tell you at the front end that John Volkerson is questionable going into Tuesday's game. Not sure if they need him. We will see. Um, they certainly don't need him, but would they like to get him some minutes? Yes, they would. Um, but, you know, I talked to Olivia Cumwell for a while again before practice today, or Thursday, I should say, and, and he said basically that the, you know, the team is confident in the way they're playing offense right now. You know, he felt like, honestly, defense was more of a concern from the first game for him. Uh, but he, he did make a good point and asked him about this, that, that if Tennessee's going to play at this high a pace – Tennessee's defensive numbers in some ways are going to look worse because there's going to be more possessions in a game. So what you're really going to be looking for here is points per possession. You're going to be looking at defensive efficiency ratings more so than like X points per game. That That's no longer the most important stat there. Basically, you're looking at field goal percentage, effective field goal percentage, you know, those sorts of things. And it was sort of that way when Pearl was the coach, too. There were times when they were not a bad defensive team. The numbers looked like they were. And I've seen this a lot with North Carolina teams over the years, too, where they're not really a bad defensive team. They just play so fast that there's going to be more possession, so there's going to be more 
games like this. You saw this with Alabama last year. Those guys could had some had a couple of guys who could lock you down, but some games were high scoring because that's how they played the game. So thought that was interesting. And and um, you know, Kamwa talked about how he has he didn't want to call it a green light, um, but he said that the older that he's gotten, the more trust the the staff has given him. That that they know now that he knows where he does and does not need to be taking shots. And that it's not necessarily about X number of threes or X number of twos. It's just about are you taking the first really good, really good look you get during a possession? And if that's from two, if that's from three, apparently now they don't care as much. You know, he said it's not like you want to go 15 threes in a row. There's times where you want to pound it inside just to prove a point. But he said, you know, if the first good look you get is from 20 feet, take it. If the first good look you get is from a dunk, take it. Uh, Just take the shot that you're given. And that he thinks that combined with the fact that there are more good shooters on this team than there have been before. I mean, they they shot, what, 37 38% the other night, and that was with Vescovi and Bailey doing throwing bricks. And those guys aren't going to always throw bricks because we know that statistically speaking. So I thought that was interesting. He also talked about the leadership void that, you know, he, and I talked to this about – I talked about this with him during a one-on-one a couple weeks ago when he talked about – you kind of wake up one day and you realize you're a junior now and that there's eight newcomers on this team and that you don't feel like an old guy yet, but you have to act like one. And he thinks that Fulkerson being out of practice has helped him more too because he has to do more communicating. He has to do more – you know, you can't let Josiah Jordan-James do everything. He could, but but you don't want to ask him to do that. And we know Urosh is a great talker, communicator, but he's not on the floor a ton all the time. So I think – one of the most interesting things about this season to me, Grant, that no one's talked about enough, is will this staff finally trust Olivier Kamwa to play basketball? Because I think, and I know I'm not the only one who thinks this, that there's a lot of upside there and that he has not been given enough slack at times. Other guys have been able to make mistakes that he's not been allowed to make because whatever reason the staff hasn't trusted him, they thought they had better options. If they will just let him play basketball – I don't think he's going to be a star, but I think he could be a really good player who has some star-like performances here and there. He's without a doubt the most popular name in terms of who had the best offseason or who seems to have made the most progress since last March or who seems to be poised for like a breakout year. And I think there's been a little bit of that talk in the past, and I think there's a little bit of a uh, guarded kind of believe-it-when-I-see-it kind of mindset that I take with him. I think he does. He, I think he does have that green light. Uh, in that trail spot where Grant Williams used to pull up from the top of the key. Chisholm, uh, trailing too. The point Chisholm guard. did that all the time. Right. So I, I think you'll see that. I think he doesn't have a choice, Rick Barnes, to lengthen the leash on Olivier early in the season because folky has been out with a broken thumb, because Jonas sadu has been out for, with mono for most of the last month. He just came back to practice last week. It's going to be a while before uh, he catches up because when you miss those early season practices, those kind of seem to snowball in terms of your development and trying to get you up to speed and, and everything there. Um, they're going to apparently they're going to live and die by the three. And that's going to be kind of the brave new world that they're living in because it, it wasn't only 46 attempts in an exhibition game against Lenore Ryan. It apparently happened in the Davidson scrimmage. It apparently has happened in the two 40 minute inner squad scrimmages they've had in the preseason. So this is something that they're, they're going to do. They're going to shoot a lot of threes. Like you said, they're going to have more possessions. They didn't guard the three-point line well against the Lenore Ryan. Nope. Guess what? They didn't guard the three-point line at all well all last season when they were a pretty elite defensive unit. Even when they had Eve Pond um, and Eraser with the team. Right. I mean, you look back at this time a year ago, they were elite defensively, and they were absolutely stagnant offensively. They were winning games like 56-54, whatever. 
Um, I think most Tennessee fans would say, give me some more offense and I'll relax a little bit on the defensive end. And uh, they can be a little bit worse defensively if they're going to shoot 46 times from the three-point line and make 37, 38, 39, whatever percent of them, uh, if they can do that consistently. So I think there's a little bit of give and take there. You're not going to be good defensively when you have seven freshmen on roster and you're going to be depending on some of those freshmen to play. Um, it's going to take a while for them to catch up because I think that's where the biggest learning curve is from from high school basketball, regardless of what level it is, to, to making that jump to college basketball. So there's going to be some give and take there. Um, the good news with Fulke is is you've got UT Martin on Tuesday, then you got ETSU on Sunday, and you really have two weeks to get him back uh, before facing number four Villanova in the in the tournament in Connecticut. So he's got some time. You don't want to throw him straight to the fire uh, against Nova in a couple of weeks, but you also don't have to rush him back. Yeah, the last thing I'll say before going to break here is that I uh, you're talking about how most fans would rather you know be elite offensively, and then just you know if you're not as elite defensively, that's okay. That did remind me of a conversation I had, I guess, two weeks ago with Justin Powell when he said, you know, I get the impression from sometimes that, that, that Coach Barnes is like, you know, if you play as hard as you want, to play as hard as you can and as efficiently as you can defensively, you know, he'll live with some some bad shots here and there. And I immediately went, no, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> and Powell looked at you me want- like, what are you talking about? I said, I mean, maybe he changed to- overnight. <laughs> You want to bet? Yeah. You want to bet, Justin Bell? Yeah. Well, well, you're in a, well, like, with an NIL deal now. Can I make money betting you on this right now? That maybe, 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 maybe Rick Barnes is Steve Buscemi with the bat backwards hat and the skateboard over his arm, saying, "How do you do, fellow kids? <laughs> How do you do, fellow three point shooters?" And he's like, "Just fine with it." Maybe, maybe Justin Powell walked into the situation at the right perfect time. Maybe, maybe so. Maybe so. There's lots more to discuss, though. We'll have lots more basketball podcasts going forward, but. Those were the main things. Just wanted to hit on those. Also, they're still saying a lot of good things about Santiago Viscovi and the physical offseason that he's had. And Olivia Kumwa said that you've always had to have your head on a swivel anytime you play with Vescovi because a pass will come at your head when you don't expect it. But he said now that Vescovi's physically stronger and in better shape, you have to do it even more because those passes are coming with a lot more velocity than they used to. So he said basically that your head's really got to be on a swivel now because if you're not paying attention before, you'd look dumb. Now you might get hurt basically. So, you know, that, that was, that was an interesting way for him to put in a guy who for, for, for an ESL kid, his command of the English language and his, they just, they, they got good education over there, up there in Scandinavia. They, they, they do it right. Those guys, they produce a lot of smart guys and gals. So plenty more to discuss there. We got to talk Tennessee, Kentucky football, the beer barrel battle coming up this Saturday. But before we do that, I'm going to step away, pay some bills, listen to products, services, in-house ads, and other fun things here on the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Hashtag ad. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome back to the Go Vols 24-7 podcast, brought to you by whatever products, services, and in-house ads you just heard a moment ago. During that commercial break, Wes Rucker coming to you from Fort Rucker Studio, and Grant Ramey coming to you from the Go Vols 24-7 Blount County Satellite Office in Merville here on just a beautiful, uh, clear, uh, little, partly cloudy, a uh, little, little chilly Thursday evening here in Knoxville, Tennessee, East Tennessee, in Grant's case, I guess you could say. Um, but a pleasant night nonetheless. Got a big, big, big football game for Tennessee coming up on Saturday. Got the big NCAA news in the first segment, and and uh, there's lots of big stuff to discuss. Before we get back to it, though, quick reminder, take about a minute out of your day. If you could, please, please, please go in there and subscribe to this podcast. If you're just listening on the website, we love you. There's nothing wrong with that. But what helps us out the most is if you go in there and, and you go into Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneIn, Stitcher, anywhere in the world you can get a fine pod, cast the fine pod. You can find the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. But we do this for free, and we're happy to do it. But the one thing we ask is that you go on there and subscribe and rate and review. That's why we've been able to grow this thing consistently since we started it years ago and why we will keep growing consistently uh, if you all will go out there and you will continue to tell your friends and subscribe and rate and review and all those good things. So thank you for doing that. And if you haven't done it yet, you know, go yourself. You took that somewhere. That's our new slogan. If you don't do that, you know what to do. If you don't use spearmint gum. <laughs> Basically. Right? Yeah, more or less. Right. Yeah, that, that's that's the new slogan. So, uh, oh, no, was it Big Red? If you don't chew Big Red big, gum. Big Red. You don't chew if Big you Red don't gum. Chew big Red. You know what to do. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah, you know what to do. Grant, Tennessee got a big football game coming up this Saturday. And if you if you haven't, you can go back and listen to yesterday's uh, podcast where we had Derek Terry from Cat's Paws on there, and Derek's covered Kentucky a long time for a young fella, and, and he always has a lot of good insight into both Kentucky basketball and football. And, you know, one of the big things we talked about in that podcast where there's a couple things about this game. One is that it is a fascinating combination, a fascinating matchup of teams that play the game completely different ways and have strengths that very much could abuse the other uh you know but it's just interesting because normally you know you can see some clear lines of delineation there you know but teams a lot they do the same stuff these guys play the game completely differently and what they do could really hurt the other in some ways that's really interesting the second interesting thing is that this is such a big game for both programs arguably bigger for Kentucky than, than for Tennessee First opera, first chance to beat Tennessee in back-to-back years for the first time since, I think, 1977, I believe it is. So that that's huge. Kentucky's got the first – got a chance to win 10 games in a season for the first time since, like, 1977 or whatever it is. There's a lot riding on this for Kentucky because the, the last few games there for Kentucky probably wins. Uh, Kentucky's schedule is not the toughest. They've already played some of the toughest games. This is one of the last ones. So, you know, Louisville's kind of down right now. I don't – you know, we'll see. It's a rivalry game. Never know. But this is a huge game for Tennessee or for Kentucky for a lot of reasons. And it's at home where Kentucky has played good football this season, and it's Tennessee. So you put all that together, huge game for Kentucky. But also for Tennessee, this is an opportunity to sort of 
you know, let's what's the best way I can put this? Sort of sort of strangle big sort of strangle Kentucky in the cradle a little bit there. Don't let that program get going and 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 say it can beat you two years in a row. You know, if you're Tennessee and you want to be recruiting historically with Georgia, Alabama, Florida, Auburn, you know, those types, you want to be in that group. And Tennessee is still in some cases, Tennessee is still recruiting at a level for the past 15 years that is remarkable for a program with with that record on the field. But you've also got to worry about what's going on in Kentucky because Stoops and those guys have been there for nearly a decade now. They know what they're about. That stability that they have is something that a, a lot of parents and you know a lot of kids and mostly their parents, they like that. They like that stability. They like knowing what they're going to get. They know that brand of football. They know those guys are probably going to be there unless something huge comes up. And Tennessee has been sort of chaotic. And, and so you've had some kids even in the Nashville area who normally it would be like, they, these would be guys that in a normal cycle, Tennessee would have them like on the fallback list. And if Tennessee offered them, they would go to Tennessee like immediately. And, and instead, Tennessee is having to fight tooth and nail with Kentucky for some of these kids. And Kentucky is getting a couple of them. So if you're Tennessee, you have to stop that from happening. We know that this brand with Josh Heupel, we know the football is probably going to recruit itself better than the staff's going to recruit it. And that's not to say they don't recruit because they do recruit. I'm not going to, they're not going to go uh, Dan Mullen on this, basically. They're, they do recruit. Problem is, I think they've had some restrictions this year. I also think they've had to deal with a tremendous amount of negative recruiting. And I also think that Heupel has not recruited this region a ton. So they're battling a lot of things and I think in, for a year or two, you're going to have to give them some grace until they get back, you know, that people can see this brand of football. They can make relationships with players because I think players like these, these coaches. They like this staff. But that gets a whole lot more complicated if you start, you know, losing to Kentucky more often than not. you you, you got to take care. You don't want to be looking behind you for teams that are traditionally behind you. You want to be looking right there eye-to-eye eye or forward with the other big boys. And I think – that combination of factors makes this a really important game for both teams. Yeah, I mean, there's enough competition in the SEC as there is for Tennessee, and Kentucky is not a team that you generally consider to be one of those, uh, one of that part of that competition. I mean, it has been the last few years because this is the same Tennessee football from 20 years ago, and obviously this is not the same Kentucky football uh, from 20 years ago. But I mean, more big picture, it's funny how the sports world kind of has a way of uh, circling back around because Tennessee wins its first two games last season. Uh, they go to Georgia, they're ahead at halftime. They, they, you know, end up losing that game. I can't remember what the final score was, but it wasn't that close. And, and you know, so what? Georgia's a better team. You lost that game. You probably should have lost that game. And then you come home to Kentucky, a team you probably expect to win because you beat Kentucky at home all the for time. however many years in a row. Right, and, and they punch you in the face and it's 34-7 and they embarrass you in Knoxville and that starts the tailspin, really, uh, because the Georgia loss was the Georgia loss, but the Kentucky loss is really what kind of pushed that snowball it never recovered. down the hill right for six straight losses and completely changes the uh, not only the 2020 season, but the Jeremy Pruitt era and everything that happened in December and everything that happened in January. You can kind of point back to that Kentucky loss as the, the time where you were first really on the ropes and, and trying to, you know, salvage something. So now Tennessee has a chance under a new coaching staff. Um, everything's, you know, completely done a 360 in terms of perception of this program perception of the coaching staff all this stuff um a, a year later and you go to kentucky with a chance to i mean if you can win this game i mean i think you you have six wins right now because you got vanderbilt at the end of the season you got south alabama in a couple of weeks i think you have six wins on this schedule 
if you can get seven, if you can still win a Kentucky, that's huge because a, it's a huge step forward for your program in year one under a new coaching staff where you didn't really expect a ton. Uh, and it kind of, uh, it, like you said, it knocks Kentucky down considerably because they're coming off a six and no start. They lost that number one, Georgia, nobody's faulting them for that. But last week they go to Mississippi state, they're up 10, nothing. And then Mississippi state, a very, you know, average Mississippi state team, I would say scores 31 straight on you. Uh, the guy can, uh, Will Rogers completes what 36 or 39 passes Which or something is, like that. Just so. insane to still think about that. Right. I mean, Mike Leach's offense, I guess that makes sense, but you know, whatever. The fact is if, if you start six and zero, and then you lose to Georgia and then you lose to Mississippi state and then you lose to Tennessee, that, that takes a lot of that shine off of six. And at the same time, that six, no, you only beat Missouri by seven at home. Uh, you struggled to take care of business against Chattanooga at home. Uh, you only beat South Carolina 16, 10 at South Carolina. Uh, they beat Florida. Obviously that's huge. Uh, they beat LSU very, uh, by three touchdowns when LSU is, is, is reeling like they haven't in a long time. So that it is a 6-0 start, and it is a good Kentucky football team, but you can also kind of go back and pick apart everything that's happened. So with what Tennessee has done, the big plays they've shown against the likes of Alabama and others, the, the offensive numbers they've put on the board, how much they can score, you know, all that kind of stuff, considering uh, it, it is a winnable game for Tennessee. Um, and if they can win it, if they can find a way to get a win and have a seven-win season, that's a huge, huge, huge step forward. Yeah, here's where it gets a little bit confusing for me is that, you know, Mississippi State did to Kentucky sort of what I thought Tennessee might do to Kentucky. And so, will that happen two weeks in a row? And it's hard to see. There's a lot of big, you know, strong, mentally tough dudes on that Kentucky team who who just kind of find ways to win games. And how will they respond to a week like that? I would imagine they'll come out and play a better football game. But that's that's the one part. On the other part – you know, it, when you look at the what each of these teams does well and the way this game matches up, and you look at the turnover numbers, you look at this offense versus that defense and, and this defense versus that offense, Tennessee can beat Kentucky more ways than Kentucky can beat Tennessee, I think. And if, if this game gets into any kind of a track meet, Kentucky, that, that's not their game. And for all the talk about Kentucky being better passing the ball, they are more competent passing the ball now, but they're 101st nationally in passing offense. You can't can't deny that. There's 130 teams. They're 101st in passing. It's not good. Chris Rodriguez, their big bruising running back, who's a really good player, has clearly been injured recently because he can't hold the ball without fumbling it nowadays, and that's unusual for him. I mean, they only gave him like eight or nine touches against State because he, he kept fumbling the ball, and... He, he, you know, Stoops finally admitted that something's been bothering him. I think it's been clear for a few weeks something's been bothering him. But but you look at that, and, and then you look at the fact that, you know what, it's not running backs really that, that, that crush Tennessee on the ground. Tennessee, I mean, Brian Robinson's the only guy to get 100 yards on him this year that's not a quarterback. And, and so running quarterbacks, and Levis is an athletic, but not, not, not freakishly athletic. And, and so you just look at the matchups and you go, you know what, I, I, I think – Maybe I was wrong that Kentucky's got a better team than Tennessee. Maybe I was just wrong about that. I, I, I don't know. And, and then you, you put those Florida and LSU wins into a different perspective when you consider that those are brand-name marquee wins. LSU just fired its football coach. I think Dan Mullen has lost a lot of games to Power 5 teams in the past two or three years, and they're talking about is Dan Mullen's job secure. So let's you know barely beat Chattanooga. 
<laughs> and no, no disrespect to the mocks, covered them for a few years. A lot of great people down there. You're an SEC team. You don't want to be just kind of skating by against Chattanooga. That's not where you want to be. So I look at this and I say, you know what? Kroger Field has become a home field advantage finally. You're going to see a lot of orange in there, but it's not going to be like 50-50 like it's been in the past. They That crowd bothered Florida. Of course, that was Florida's first true road game in a couple of years. That that crowd bothered Florida. It bothered LSU. I imagine it's going to bother Tennessee some. And, and, you know, last week Mississippi State had a lot of procedure penalties too, saying that Kentucky was maybe simulating the snap counter, the cadence a little bit. And we know Tennessee's had some false start issues and procedure issues. Uh, I think that's going to be an issue. So, But Kentucky has won games by, like, you know, interception return touchdowns block field goal return touchdowns, you know, kick return touchdowns, punt return touchdowns, stuff like that. And those are real things. <laughs> but I just – I look at it and I think, you know, if Tennessee's reasonably healthy coming off the bye week and doesn't have too much rust, maybe I was wrong about saying Kentucky has a better team. I don't know. I mean, Grant, we don't give our, our predictions away until, until uh, you know, Friday afternoon but or Friday around noon or whatever it is. But – uh, I'll be honest, It's as we're recording this, just about 7 p.m. Eastern on Thursday, I'm having a hard time making this decision because I was going to pick Tennessee to win this game until Kentucky lost last week, and now I'm not sure, and now I'm I'm not going to flip a coin, but I, I'm having a tough time with this one because I think you know either team winning this game by like 17 points wouldn't surprise me. No, I mean, I think you you can definitely say top to bottom, Kentucky probably has a better roster because, the, I mean, who doesn't have more depth than Tennessee right now Accurate. Uh, in college football? I mean, it, it, at least in the SEC. Um, and, you know, the stuff you pointed out, the track meet, that's exactly what Tennessee wants to do. Tennessee was wanting a track meet at Alabama when they were absolutely running on fumes. They had played eight straight games. They wanted to track me and they got it. And they had 70 yard touchdown to Cedric Tillman. And, and I think Hendon Hooker averaged almost 15 yards uh, per completion in that game. He threw for 282 and three touchdowns. I mean, they wanted to track me and they got it. And they went up against Ole Miss the week before that. And it came down to the final play, despite everything that went wrong uh, earlier in that football game. And that's with the injury list, injury report getting longer and longer and longer as those eight weeks went by. And the guys that were getting injured were the guys that you absolutely could not lose and could not do without, and Tennessee was still having success. So I think you can say top to bottom, Kentucky has the better roster probably, or at least more depth, but but Tennessee is currently probably executing better in its scheme and what it wants to do uh, on both sides of the ball. And and when you have a Tennessee football team that wants to have that track meet, you can't turn the football over if you're the opposition because you want to score fast, and if you can force a turnover and go right back down and score, that can completely change the game in an instant. That can be, you know, a 14-point swing in the blink of an eye. Kentucky's dead last in the SEC in turnover margin. They've turned it over, what, 16 times, and they I think they have four yeah, turnovers gained on the it. season. Yeah. I think their their turnover margin is negative 1.5. Florida is 13th in the league. Theirs is 0.88. So Kentucky's is almost doubled what Florida's is the next, uh, the next worst ratio in the league. So I think those are the two big things right there. Tennessee wants to have a track meet. And not only uh, do they want to do that, but they're coming off a of bye week finally and a chance to, to step back and take a breather and give some guys a little bit of time off their feet and, and maybe heal up a little bit and have some more people available for this one. And the fact that Kentucky, you know, it, they don't want to get beat by the big play, but Tennessee wants to live by the big play. Something's got to give there. And if they turn it over, then that's going to give Tennessee a lot of life uh, because they want to score points in bunches. And if you can do that, it changes the game instantly. 
Yeah, those turnover numbers really surprised me. Not so much that Kentucky's turned it over that much because, I mean, that happens and, and they've got some guys on offense that will do that. But only forcing four defensively, I mean, Josh Paschal is a dude. You know, John Jay Square is a dude. Like, they've got some dudes in that front seven. They've got some really good dudes that could that could pry the ball loose and force you to make some mistakes, and, and that really hasn't happened a ton. And that's been a, a surprise to me. And, and, you know, Tennessee, you know, Hooker – He's not turned it over much. Just when he has, it's always been in the worst situation imaginable. He, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, the one against Pitt where just bad ball didn't didn't see the going a bad ball. He just didn't see the safety. And then against Alabama in that huge situation, he and Javante Payton are on two different planets on the option route, and he throws the easiest interception that that Bama guy was ever going to get in his life. So you know, but Tennessee with Hooker traditionally, he's had a fumble here or there, but he he runs it some. I think. If he is healthy, if he's better coming off that week, if he can go out and run again, then then because against Bama there was a couple times. I think there's one play where normally he would run it for a touchdown, but he kind of pulled it up, pulled up a little bit, threw it, and uh, you know that when he's got the ability to run, he needs to run it. And that that's just it's the safer, more efficient play. He's dynamic enough; he can make some plays. That's a big thing to watch. And I think I, I don't know if it's been mentioned a ton. Uh, because I'll, I'll be honest, I, when when Heupel spoke this morning, uh, my wife and I were at the 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 baby dot guy, whatever whatever you want to call them. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's, talk, his, that's his technical term. Technical technical, technical term. Yeah, he walked in. He goes, "Hello, I'm the baby doc," and and so ba- baby dot guy. Yeah, I'm the baby I'm the baby dot guy, and I get home I get driven home by baby driver, and that's just how we that's how we do things. But yeah, I, I think that. Elijah Simmons' health in this game is something to watch because if he can get back, the way Kentucky plays the game, him being able being able to put him back on the nose for even if it's just 15, 20 plays, whatever it can be, and that's not to say that Butler and those other guys can't can't competently sit on the nose and do some things if you need them to, they can, but you put that big boy right there in the middle of the line, that that can do some damage. I mean, he made a couple of great plays against Kentucky as a freshman, you know, a couple of years ago in this game. You know, when in the year he redshirted, so I think that that's something to watch. Uh, we all know Cade May's health is super important. What he can do, what he can't do, um, because with absolutely no offense intended for Dane Davis, he is not, nor will he ever be Cade Mays. So that that's a that that's a big deal in a game like this. Kentucky's got some size up front, and Tennessee's not been able to win a game this year where it hasn't been able to sort of run the ball consistently. That is a huge part of this offense. You know, you figure Tyne Evans will be healthy. Coming, you know, healthier coming off the bye week. Uh, Jabari Small, his shoulder's kind of a week-to-week thing, so we'll see. They can dress it up as much as they want, but it's – I know what happens when you get that injury, and it's – you know, you need time to heal it. And so he plays through it when he can, and, and you know, when he can, he, he, he can't. But that, that stuff is going to be huge for Tennessee because if Tennessee can throw its full complement of players at Kentucky, or, or most of them, the ones who are available – only like a Tennessee self-destruction, I think, could really, really lose this game. And Vegas knows it too. What did that thing open? Some people opened it at minus five. It's already down to pick them or, or minus one or minus point five. I mean, it, 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 people are picking this way for a reason. I mean, not that Vegas always knows everything, but the more you look at the matchups in this game, the more you see, I don't know who has technically the better roster. You could say Kentucky certainly has more depth. But Tennessee has more ways to beat Kentucky than Kentucky has ways to beat Tennessee. Maybe Kentucky's way is more foolproof. <laughs> you know, I, that's 
Um, but if if Tennessee goes up there and plays well, handles the elements, it's going to be cold, and they, they do their job, I, I don't know. I, I just think I think they have enough. Kentucky's corners were shockingly bad against Mississippi State. And they were coming off a of bye week. They play Mississippi State every year. They know that offense. Mark Stoops knows that offense. And yet they allowed 36 completions and 39 passes. And some of those swing passes, they were out of sorts. I just I, – I, you know, both their corners last season are in the NFL now. I just don't think they're very good at corner. And I think Tennessee and, and, can really hurt them there. And if there's a position you don't want to be bad at against a, a Josh Heupel offense as fast as they want to go is that corner. Yep. I mean, you can go back to that Cedric Tillman 70-yard touchdown and watch that Alabama corner that was over Tillman, and he had his back turned looking at the sideline and trying to get a signal when Tennessee was snapping the ball, and Tillman was off the line two yards before he got turned around and realized what was going on, and Tillman blows by him for a 70-yard touchdown. That's the one That's the one position where uh, you can't be bad against a Tennessee offense that wants to go as fast as it wants to go. I think this game is going to come down to who responds better because Tennessee has the chance to really respond positively from having that off date finally uh, after playing eight straight games and, and being as banged up as they were and finally getting a chance to rest up a little bit. And Kentucky's coming off, uh, a, a, I mean, a face plant. I think that's what you have to call it. They were up 10 nothing. They gave up 31 straight. They only had three incompletions. Mississippi State did on those 39 pass attempts. Kentucky only had 216 total yards. I pulled up the box score. Uh, they Mississippi State only rushed for 94 yards. They only rushed for 2.7 yards per carry. They had 11 penalties for 88 yards. Um, that's bad. But guess what? They didn't turn the football over. Kentucky turned it over four times. Um, they had success offensively. Kentucky couldn't do anything offensively, couldn't get stops defensively. Um, if Tennessee can hold on to the football and execute and not have a ton of penalties the way it did against Missouri, the way it did against South Carolina, um, the way it did at times against Ole Miss and Alabama, I think it's it's very easy to think this is a game that Tennessee has a chance to to win. And I think, yeah, if, if Vegas is going from opening at minus four where it opened on Sunday to closer to a pick or a, a one-point spread, I think that tells you what you need to know about what people think about t- Kentucky and what people think about Tennessee and kind of where these two seasons are, you know, crossing paths. Yeah, but uh... – 88 yards rushing in a game for Mississippi State is like 300 for most teams. I mean, that is, you know, last week, Kentucky, honest, and this is honest to God true, Kentucky did not at all, did not have a single run game, a run defense practice period all week because that's how infrequently Mississippi State runs. Basically, you spend the entire week preparing for the air raid where you're going through pass, pass sets and pass drops and, you know, different blitz looks and different zones you're going to throw at them. Because the run, it's like okay, if they run it, go tackle the guy like that. You know that's that's what it is. It's not anything crazy like that. If the quarterback scrambles, wait till he gets to the line of scrimmage and then hit him. Like you know, you know, it's not. Or then leave your guy and go hit him. And and it's it's not complicated. But you know that that I just got really bothered by the way Kentucky secondary looked in that game. They just did not. And that offense, you know, Levis has only has not thrown the ball for 200 yards. I think against an SEC team this season. I don't. I don't think. Uh, and and they 216 offensive yards against. I mean, State's defense is not terrible, but it's also not great. So they they threw a lot of different looks and blitzes, and that really kind of confused Kentucky. Threw them off a little bit. Um, but the last thing I'll say is that there was a uh, there's a former Kentucky football player who who runs a website now, and he does a lot of breakdowns of Kentucky games and like this is the X's and O's this is what happened and he I think very politely put a tremendous amount of that on Levis he just said 
the plays were there. The, the scheme was fine. He did not look in the right places. He did not make the right throws, and he wasn't always accurate when he needed to, to make those throws. So he, he basically – I don't think he's trying to throw the kid under the bus, but I think he's trying to say, listen, if you want to blame the coaches, that's fine. That's natural. You can start there. But the, the, the plays were there to be made, and they weren't made. So if, you know, if Tennessee is just counting on the fact that Levis won't make plays, that's a hard thing to count on. you gotta, you, know, you got to scheme them up right. So, because if he, you have to plan for them playing their best, and if they don't, that's good news. But you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm probably leaning toward picking Tennessee, but it, it's, it's really interesting. And neither one of these teams am I confident enough in to say, yeah, I feel pretty good about what they're going to do. I don't know. I, I mean, that's part of what makes it fun, but probably really nerve wracking as a fan, right? Yeah, I mean, Tennessee's defense is is really. I don't know. Hard to figure out how how they lead the SEC in tackles for loss. I think they lead the country in tackles for per loss. game. They do uh, yep. w- with seventy. I mean, that's to have that number with you know after having to kind of rebuild your defense uh, over the offseason, really in January after everything changed is, is mind boggling. I think they're opportunistic. I think they uh, can do some bend don't break stuff. I think they're going to have to continue that tackle for loss number in this game. I think it's going to have to continue to take advantage of Kentucky's turnover um, uh, problems. Tennessee's, I think, tied for third in the SEC in, in turnover margin. So I think that's kind of the stuff you have to focus in on is is how disruptive can that Tennessee defense be? How many times can they get the football back? Um, and if this offense can execute like it has in the past, you know, how quickly can you put up points? Uh, and if there is a turnover, how quickly can you do it again and take control of the game? Because I think it's going to have to happen quickly. Uh, in spurts um, because Tennessee is, is going on the road. It's never, never easy to go on the road and, and have success in this league, but we've seen it from them before. So if they could do it again, uh, it would be large, 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 large. I would, I would, though, probably favor Kentucky if it's a super close game in the fourth quarter because looking at it, I've seen Kentucky win games like that. Tennessee has not won games like that this season. Tennessee's wins have been mostly going away or comfortable, and in the fourth quarter maybe it's the depth that becomes a problem then. Maybe it's the fact that they've run out a good scheme to use at that point of the game. Maybe they just have some guys who don't have that sort of clutch gene, whatever you want to call it, if you believe in that. If you're one of those Derek Jeter fanboys who believes in the clutch gene, then, then you know, they maybe they just don't have some of that because some of their only biggest mistakes have come in those moments. So if it's a close game on the road like that in the fourth quarter, I trust Tennessee's passing game more than Kentucky's, but that, that, that might not be what matters the most in the end. It might just be who executes – better and and if that's what it is then i'd go with probably the team that has better depth and the team playing at home so so that's you know if you're tennessee you'd like to have some breathing space here because that makes kentucky really uncomfortable really quickly um because if you, if you got that kind of drag it out kind of 17 14 24 21 i don't know if that looks good for tennessee because i've seen kentucky succeed there uh, tennessee you know pitt ole miss and then both Bama and Florida, when they had a chance to get back right back in the game, they just you know, made mistakes. And, and so that's something to watch. But I think it's going to be a really, really fun game. And I think, um, you know, it's one of the biggest we, – we've said this going into the year. There were three or four games to circle. This was at or near the top of the list. It's a big one. It's a big opportunity. I mean, Kentucky's ranked 18th. Go beat a ranked team. That would be a huge deal in Heupel's first season. So lots to discuss. Lots more. We'll have tons more hoops to discuss in the coming weeks as well. I'll ask you, Grant, if you got anything else to say other than go Braves, but I don't know why I'm asking. Who won the World Series, Wes? That would be the uh, that would be the Atlanta Braves. They won the World Series. Mm. When was the last time the Cubs won it? Uh, 2016, 
five years yeah, and two days man. ago. Five years and two days ago. Five, five years. That's like ninety percent of my daughter's life. You're welcome for you're welcome for Jorge Soler, by the way. I love it. No. When, I love it. I love what it. You, I love it when. What when are, you, are you a Royals fan now? I mean, what? No, yeah, uh, no. I, I just I get sad when guys who I thought would be really good Cubs end up being really good players for other teams. <laughs> I got why they traded him when they did, but damn man, come on! Like he's finally the Solaire that I thought he could be, and it's like he's doing it in the wrong, wrong blue and red. Listen, wrong blue listen, and red. He was, he was batting one ninety two, and the Braves got him at, at four p.m. on trade deadline day. So let's not act like. This is Mickey Mantle. He just turned into Mickey Mantle in the World Series. Oh, well, by God, he turned into or Reggie maybe, Jackson in the World Series. Yeah, three maybe, home, a little three Barry, maybe a little Barry Bonds. Three home runs. Three home runs in the World in six games in the World Series. Oh, some 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 uh, some Mr. November, Mr. October stuff right there. That's all I'm saying. That's he all hit, I'm saying. He hit one that that might land soon. Yeah, you never know. Four forty six. My backside. That thing went four hundred forty six million yards. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for joining us, Grant. See you later. And if I could just. Find that button. There it is. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Go Vols 24-7 podcast. Thanks to Grant for joining us, and thanks to y'all for listening. We always say it, but we always mean it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You can find all of us on social media. I'm Wes Rucker 24-7 on Twitter. Grant Ramey is Grant Ramey on Twitter. Patrick Brown is P. Brown 24-7 on Twitter. And Ryan Callahan is Ryan Callahan 24-7 on Twitter. You can also go, if you just want Tennessee news in your feed, nothing else, go get that at twitter.com slash govals 24-7. You can also go to facebook.com slash govals 24-7, where we update that page all day, every day, tons and tons of good stuff on there. But if you want that best, most delicious East Tennessee Smoky Mountain spring water right from the tap, just Ronnie Millsap style deliciousness, go get that at GoVols247.com. The best site on all of Al Gore's internets to get coverage of Tennessee football, football recruiting, basketball, basketball recruiting, Tennessee baseball, lots of stuff with those guys going on right now. Got Lady Vols coverage with the award-winning Maria Cornelius, who does an excellent job all year long covering all things Lady Vols for us. We cover women's sports at this uh, at our site, and we are proud of it. They do. Uh, Maria does as good a job as anybody. Great job covering the Lady Vols. We got two forms that run around the clock. We got the checkerboard and the summit where you can go talk 24 hours a day, seven days a week, thousands of Tennessee fans across the world in every time zone. Talk anything you want that is not political or religious in nature. And us, the, the five members of the site, we are on there all the time. We are on there responding to you. We're starting threads. We're responding in threads. Uh, nowhere else in this market, certainly, do you get the, the response that you'll get from us there. We are there for you, and, and we're there to talk to you, have fun with you, help you out. We do all that. And we do all that, so that's a couple dozen fresh content items every day two great forums just the best recruiting database in the industry one of the best databases for sports anywhere in the industry you get all of that for less than the price of one mediocre lunch per month that is all it costs and if you pay us that that rate after a seven-day free trial you pay us that really really reasonable rate you get access in perpetuity to cbs all access or paramount plus i did it again there's another dollar for the charity jar paramount plus used to be cbs all access now it's paramount plus you get that's a hundred plus dollars annual value that we give you for free that's the streaming platform of cbs viacom you got blockbuster movies on there you got paramount plus original shows on there tons of great stuff that you can only get on paramount plus including some hollywood type movies big big budget type movies big stuff there also every show cbs has ever made commercial free uh, you get stuff from the from the libraries of uh, cbs uh, Comedy Central, MTV, BET, Smithsonian, Nickelodeon. You get live sports, Vol stuff, SEC stuff, NFL, PGA Tour, 
UEFA Champions League, UEFA Europa League, the Golazo Show, which is fantastic. Serie A is on there, the Italian Top League, World Cup Qualifiers on there. Guys, the NCAA Tournament, obviously, March Madness is on there. Movies, shows, sports, everything you want. Basically, we're giving you like four or $500 worth of stuff for like just a little more than 100 bucks a year. You don't have to worry about the supply chain either. You just go there and get it directly. Guys, I'm telling you, you should take advantage of it. If nothing else, you should hear from us after the game early, early Sunday morning. won't be Saturday. It'll be early Sunday morning. But uh, you'll hear from us then, unless there's big break news before then. So until then, be good to each other. Be nice. Have empathy. See you.